electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, investigating catastrophe. The House opens a probe into Hawaiian Electric and Maui's deadly wildfires. One of the congressmen leading it is here. Student loan payments are set to roar back. Are they a form of regressive tax? We'll debate it. The quest for the everything app. Elon Musk revealing the big next steps for X. No everyday event for Walmart. How it just hit a milestone in the making all the way back since 1972. Plus... Is the fad of AI frenzy fading? We've got breaking developments from Broadcom you're going to want to hear. And speaking of AI, one exotic locale is reaping a mountain of cash thanks to just those two letters. We're going to show you the strangest of coincidences over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. We're going to get to all those stories over the hour. But first up tonight, what lurks beneath? As the late summer wanes, stocks have generally been seeing some solid gains. I did not even mean to rhyme there. It is easy to get a bit complacent in this market. But a new report has grabbed our attention. And investors, all of you out there, are going to want to listen up. It comes from noted Wall Street bear Larry McDonald. And he flags a potentially ominous sign for the markets. It's got some... Pretty good historical precedent as well. And this Wall Street warning, it's not the VIX, it's not some technical indicator, it's not the MACD line. It comes from boats. That's right, boats. Let's explain. All right, this is the S&P 500 versus Brunswick Corporation. Now, who is Brunswick? Well, they're one of the world's big boat manufacturers. They're the parent company of Bayliner, Boston Whaler, Lund, Mercury Engines, and more. On the right side of your screen, that far right side, take a note of the beginning of what appears to be a separation between the S&P 500 and Brunswick in recent months. The S&P having a nice little turn up. Brunswick, a little bit of a turn down. Okay, it's not a lot. Why does this matter, though? Well, because a very similar thing happened shortly before one of the worst periods in market history. Let's jump back about 16 years. Okay, here's the S&P Spider, the 500 versus Brunswick. Notice anything? Well, check out that period of June to November. That is 2007. The S&P rallied while Brunswick, well, sank. Sorry. The financial crisis hit not long after that. And as Larry McDonald highlights, this trend we're seeing today is not just a problem with Brunswick. Boat makers across the board, and there are a few boat and boat-related companies out there, they have been getting hit since hitting all-time highs, mostly during the thick of the pandemic, when everybody got stimulus money, a PPP loan, low interest rates, or just wanted to get on the water. In addition to Brunswick, look at some of the other names. Mastercraft, down 42% from its high. New Water, down 57%. Malibu, down 45%. And there is Brunswick, down 31% off its highs. 
The picture appears to be getting a little bit worse. In fact, yesterday, Mastercraft, which makes some of the best, you know, water skiing and wakeboarding boats in the world, missed their sales forecast by a nautical mile. And the stock fell 25%. As Larry argues, this could be a big warning flare about the resilience of high-end consumers and thus a foreshadowing of worse things to come. Or not. Let's find out and get to our panel, the aforementioned Larry McDonald, the author of that note and Bear Traps Report, and Elizabeth Evans, May Evans, Wealth Managing Partner. Larry, we'll we'll start with you. This is your report. I love it because it's different, right? And if you're a boat seller right now, uh, you're not in a good place. Leaving that behind, is there any scenario which the boats are not a tell? Well, you know, this has been going on, Brian, and you did a great job setting this up, the whole production team, But and thank you for that. Uh, but this has been going on across the lower to middle class families, uh, across the U.S. consumer <laughs> base for like the last nine months, Macy's, Target, uh, Big Lots, you name it. There's been pressure, pressure, pressure. So it looks like financial conditions uh, are much tighter on the consumer side uh, than they are on the corporate side, because a lot of corporations have been able to push out debt maturities, uh, whereas for, on the on the individual consumer side, mm-hmm. there's a lot more pain, and, but and I, that's I think going to translate up more up market over over the course of the year. Okay, I guess because going back to you, Larry, and I love the piece by the way, but I would say you know you could argue that boats are a very specialized niche, right? Unless you're the Gordon of Gloucester, you don't need a boat; it's di- discretionary. And so I do wonder with rates and everything, if boats may just be their own thing and maybe not the macro tell for the overall economy. I, I don't know. Well, if you look at the, like, the retail space, say Nordstrom's or Macy's, what, what I've noticed is and what our clients, we've run a, a conversation with institutional investors in over 20 countries. And what the institutions are, are saying around the world is that a lot of this financing, say with Macy's or Nordstrom's, is vendor financing. So there's a lot of different companies across the retail space that are providing financing to their customers and their customers are now defaulting or not paying on time as as they were, say, pre-pandemic or in recent years. So things are definitely deteriorating. Look at Capital One, the deterioration between Capital One versus, say, the market. Or look at at American Express, down 11% off the recent high and the S&P is only like 1% to 2% off the high. So this is definitely going up market, even yeah. touching you know, the golden American Express. Elizabeth, you're a, you're a long, sort of a long-term thinking wealth manager. What do you make of the boat indicator, if you will? And are you worried about the consumer and thus maybe the stock market? Well, good evening, Brian. I think that there's no question that the U.S. consumer is not as strong uh, today as it, as it once was. We've seen pandemic savings dry up. We have seen credit card debt increase. I think now uh, the average American has $6,000 of credit card debt. And, and we've seen a, a shift in consumer behavior. We've seen a shift from goods to services. So if you talking about boats, you know, I actually think that 
um, boats and, and the fact that that boat stocks are not doing well is a great example of what the Fed is doing with their strict monetary policy that it's actually working. Interest rates are higher. Financing costs are higher. Demand for boats is lower. And I also think there's somewhat of an unwind from the COVID trade. So uh, do we think that in the short term, there's yeah. going to be volatility in the stock market? Absolutely. But is this the next 2007? We don't think so. Uh, yeah. And again, going back to you, Elizabeth, because, I, I get, you know, boats, they're their own thing. You can, you know, if you want a $200,000 Mastercraft wakeboard boat, you go do you. I get it. And we keep waiting for the consumer to crack. I've been on a plane seven weeks in a row. I have flown seven weekends or weeks in a row. It's exhausting. It's miserable. It's terrible. But every single flight was oversold. Every single one. The lines in the airport. Every restaurant is still packed. I don't know where the money's coming from, Elizabeth. I got to be honest with you. But I don't see any sign of a consumer cracking yet. You know, Brian, if you look at... Larry, Larry, let let Elizabeth go, and then I want to follow up directly. Don't even wait for me to jump in, my man. Well, and I think that, you know, the best indication of where the market is going is really earnings. What have we seen this year? We've seen uh, the, the boom with AI. We're, we're seeing a revitalization or reindustrialization of the United States with nearshoring, reshoring. With, with earnings season, we're seeing earnings revisions upwards. All of those are good indications for the market. So September is historically the worst month for the market. October is historically volatile. So I think this setup over the short term is certainly we could see the market move lower before it moves higher. But I, do, I still fundamentally believe that we are in a secular bull market. Larry? Well, I would just say, I think you're on to something here where, Brian, if you look within the ISM data, there was like 2020, 21, there was a big move into goods, goods, goods of things. People were buying things uh, coming out of COVID and they weren't necessarily buying services or leisure. Uh, And so there was an overdose of goods. And I think you alluded to that. And now uh, a lot of that discretionary spending has gone toward leisure and travel. And you're absolutely right. So yeah, just selling the, people are selling the boot, the, the boat, and, and going on a, a global cruise or you know global tour. I think. Yeah, sell your boat to buy a ticket to a much bigger boat. I just hope this isn't the the uh, Jack the, the Rose Dawson Jack Dawson market. That's a Titanic reference, by the way. Thank you, Max, for getting it. Larry McDonald, Elizabeth Evans, really appreciate it. Great stuff. The boat indicator. Hey, whatever whatever floats your. There you go. All right. In the meantime, here's what happened to your money today. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ going in opposite directions. Again, we're headed, getting close. It's end of summer, uh, headed to Labor Day. Not a lot of action. NASDAQ up one-tenth. Dow down about one-half of one percent. Inside the market, the big winner of the day, Western Digital. That stock jumped today about six percent. The big decliner, Dollar General. That stock fell 12 percent. And yeah, their CEO talked a lot about, guess what? shrinkage, a huge portion of which is theft. All right, we are just getting started up next. Is the AI fever breaking just a bit? New comments from one major player have some investors worried we'll have the breaking developments. Plus, Lululemon, they're defying a slowdown in luxury spending, and it's not just from all those stretchy pants we bought during the pandemic. We'll tell you what it is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines you can bother your family with tomorrow morning. First up, Broadcom. That stock is down. They cut their guidance tonight for the fourth quarter. Chipmaker citing intense spending and competition in semiconductors. All of this coming, of course, as many other players, names like, you know, NVIDIA, have boomed because of AI. Shares of Broadcom down just under 5%. Oh, Broadcom also saying they are seeing a slowdown in their consumer electronics business. Kind of goes to what we just Talked about and something to watch. All right. On a different note, solid results from a stretchy pants maker, Lululemon, the athletic wear company, seeing an 18% jump in sales and profit. And Lemon raising its full year guidance. They've also been dealing with a large inventory stockpile, still up about 12% for the quarter. Now, sales did beat expectations, but same store sales came in slightly lower than expected. So everybody buying stuff, of course, online. And finally, crypto news out of the SEC. They are delaying their decision to approve the first ever Bitcoin ETF. It will apply to all applicants for the ETF, including big names like BlackRock and Wisdom Tree. Take a look at Bitcoin. It is down about 4.5%, 25,998. Far cry from yesterday's rally. Let's get more context and meaning on this. Kate Rooney joining us now with more. It's like the, the forever wait for any kind of decision <laughs> by the SEC, Kate. Exactly, 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 Ryan. The latest in this SEC battle with crypto, it seems like. So they delayed the decision, as you mentioned, on really the bulk of those Bitcoin ETFs and the applications out there. The list includes some major names in finance. you got the world's largest asset manager. you got BlackRock, Wisdom Tree, Vanek as well. And today's decision isn't necessarily a no. It just means that the SEC gets to kick the can down the road a bit and holds off on making a decision. It extends the comment period where they can get public feedback on this issue. The new deadlines are now mid-October. The regulator has 240 days from when it first starts looking at that application to give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And this was widely expected, Brian, that the SEC would take as much time as possible here in making that decision and delay it. But because of another big court decision earlier this week, today's news may appear retaliatory by Gary Gensler and the agency. That's how it's being interpreted. You can see it affecting the price of Bitcoin. The courts of appeals, a court of appeals rather, in D.C. sided with the crypto company Grayscale yesterday in a high-profile lawsuit against the SEC. It had been trying to turn its multi-billion dollar Bitcoin trust, which is a publicly traded vehicle for getting exposure to Bitcoin, into an ETF. The agency had denied that multiple times in its attempt to launch an ETF. A big win for the company And for the broader crypto industry, the judge saying that the SEC's decision was what they called capricious and arbitrary and that the commission failed to adequately explain why it was going to approve the listing of two futures products. Those already exist, but not Grayscale's proposed Bitcoin ETF. And the SEC now needs to come up with some new reasoning 
on why they won't allow a Bitcoin ETF. Resounding good news for Bitcoin prices, at least it was yesterday, that ETF was really seen as legitimizing one investor compared it to gold. If you think about gold ETFs, you could buy a bar of gold way back when, but it was a lot harder. So a lot of people think of Bitcoin and this whole ETF argument the same way. It's seen by uh, the broader market as really a way to unlock this bigger investor base and make it easier to get exposure to Bitcoin. In a brokerage account, for example, an ETF is also considered a much more efficient way than this futures market for tracking underlying prices. Also some political implications here, Brian. So while Gary Gensler and the SEC can still appeal this, the Grayscale case that I mentioned was seen as a major loss for that agency. The Wall Street Journal editorial board writing an opinion piece calling it what they called another whiff for Gary Gensler, and it's been fuel for conservative accusations over regulatory overreach. So some politics playing to this as well, Brian. Oh, you think? Shocker. That politics and some (laughs) retaliation from D.C. may be out there. It's just color me surprised. Kate Rooney, thank you. All right. On deck. After a years long freeze, student loan payments, they're about to restart for millions of Americans. Some call the debt a regressive tax. But will it really be the economic scorching? Some are predicting real numbers behind student loan debt. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Last Call. If you've got student loan debt, you probably know what is happening tomorrow. And if you don't, it's a good thing you're watching because it could be a big economic story. Student loan payments kick back in after being paused for more than three years for COVID. Now, you heard a lot of big numbers around student loan debt, but just how big is the issue? Well, the median monthly payment is $222. The average payment, which is not as good of a measure because it overweights a few percentage of borrowers, who've got massive debt, is a bit higher at about 393 bucks. That's a lot of money. And if your finances are already tight, that two, three, or $400 a month could put a significant crimp on your spending. Some people call it effectively a regressive tax on the less wealthy. Let's talk more about it, if we're going to be able to get through it. What, and, and by the way, what changes we can make going forward. Joining us, the founder and CEO of Operation Hope, John Hope Bryant, and American Enterprise Institute economic analyst Jimmy Petakukas, also a contributor. There's a lot of things we could do in the four or five minutes, John, that we've got together. And I, you know, number one, it's, it's for some borrowers, it won't be that big of a deal. For, for others, it could be crippling. But also, how do we bring down the cost of college? I mean, there's, there's 20 colleges in America that are more than $80,000 a year. That's insane. Yeah. So a public asset has been turned into a, a, pri- a public good has been turned into a private asset in the sense that you have bifurcated education. Your education is, 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 much as, you, is as good as you can afford to pay for it sometimes. I think that for those who can afford to go to private colleges and all that, knock yourself out. All good. For, for the majority of Americans that are driving the economy, Brian, 70 percent of this economy, as you know, is consumer spending of the average American. I actually think this pretty radical idea we're having the wrong conversation completely. I don't think we should be talking about student loan debt. We should really be talking about student loan investment. I'm sorry, student education investment. 
Because if you if you get a four year education, Brian, you're going to make two times as much as if you had a high school education. And we're not living in the agrarian age anymore where you had summer. You, you needed summers off because you need to go plant. We have summers off now, but there's no planting. We live in a knowledge economy. So the way you grow this economy now, Brian, is is to invest in everybody. Everybody who wants to go to college, America, the numbers bear this out. You invest in, in education, GDP, individual income and GDP goes through the roof. Uh, and and we don't have this conversation where we're 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 stepping over a dollar to pick up to pick up a dime. It's the wrong yeah. conversation. Yes, blacks, by the way, have the highest debt ratio on student loans. We know that story. It's a, it's a long story. We don't have time for it right now. But poor whites and struggling everybody have got too much month at the end of their money. And it's like putting a 3,000-pound weight on a jet speedboat. You're, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're locking down the ability to, to, to add to GDP. You, you know, Jimmy, every story, every and I challenge any of our viewers, go Google it and find any news story on the web or in the paper. And it's like a picture of like a 27-year-old with their head in their hands looking despondent. <laughs> By the way, young people don't have that much student loan debt. I think the average number is about $8,000. They're doing okay. The biggest group with debt is 40 to 49. They owe the most per person and the most in total. But they also, I'm assuming have jobs how because that's the, isn't that the idea of college you go to to john's point go to college so you can get a better job so you can pay that loan back is this going to be the crisis that many are making it out to be jimmy i don't think it's going to be a crisis as you mentioned uh a good chunk of loans like 40 percent of all student loan debt is people who are doctors lawyers have advanced degrees they're going to be able to afford these payments uh the people this whole student loan drama, the people who really have the most trouble, and these are the people who default, are people who go to college and don't finish. They've taken out student loans, but they don't cross the finish line. Yeah. And so you, you've sort of just thrown money into the fireplace. And, and I'm going to say something uncomfortable, but degree. it's true. Many of them, maybe because of necessity, will use the student loan to fund their lifestyle. Not saying they're going to go out and buy a flashy car. They're using it to pay the rent. They're accruing debt but yet they're not getting the benefit, Jimmy, of that education. I think that's what you're yeah. going for. Right. That, that is a problem. And, I, which, and so one way, you can, one way you can approach that is by focusing a lot more, making sure people complete college. Then again, not everybody should go. I, I'm sure you've had other guests on talk that we need to have more than one, one viable path to the middle class. Uh, not everyone needs to go to a four-year uh, brick-and-mortar college. But that said, if you go to college and you study for four years, Afterwards, you should be able to pay for your those student loans. You should get a decent Otherwise, job. Otherwise, the education wasn't worth it. I mean, that's the reality. If you did it, if you did it, the school should be on the hook. Yeah. If the school just made, made you pay tens of thousands of dollars, take out loans, and you graduate and you can't make a living and pay back the loans, uh, the school should needs to be on the hook for part of that. Well, and or yeah, you know what, John? I, you could respond to that as well. There's a lot of colleges out there. You drive around America, you see colleges you've never heard of. I'm not knocking them. Many of them might be great, but I'm just thinking, what's a C minus average in a liberal arts degree from this college nobody's ever heard of that cost me $150,000? What good is that going to be? And is there a way corporations can help? I think it's KPMG. I'm not. I don't want to give them credit if it's not them. You go to work for them for five years, they'll pay back your student loan debt. There are companies that will do that. Walmart, Bank of America, 
is a number of corporations that will in, will literally invest in your education because they realize that, the, again, we're in a knowledge economy now. The smarter you are, the better worker you are. We need to understand uh, that we that our best asset, the bench strength for the playoff games the rest of our lives, are young people through those uh, through working age, one, young people that do, so let's say, 55, who are, who are charged up and ready to go either for their first game uh, of the big game or a reset of their skills. And to, to, uh, to the gentleman's point, there are other issues that people got too much month at the end of their money. That's my Operation Hope clients, which is why we financial literacy is, is a civil rights issue of this generation, Brian. Uh, and they, they're trying to deal with daycare. They're not bums. They're not, not finishing school because they're idiots. They've gone to school because they want to finish, but they got, too, they got these other pressures on them from daycare to uh, housing, affordable housing, uh, uh, inflation, that are causing pressure. Mm -hmm. And I did it, by the way, when I was went through college. I used my student loan, I'll acknowledge it, for a range of things to get me through college. I knew I it, John. That God. tie looked familiar. The tie <laughs> looked familiar. <laughs> well, yeah. I did okay. I've got you, four, I, I think you've done. Today. I think you've done okay. We're going to leave it there. But I will say this. There are also people like me who chose a different school because it was cheaper, and we didn't have any money. Yeah. And I didn't want to borrow the money. I went to community college. So, yeah, yeah. And so I, I – and God, by the way, great education back at Virginia Tech was $4,000 a year. But I did not want to go to a more expensive school because I didn't want to be burden my folks or burden myself. And, it, by the way, it paid off. But a lot of people choose lesser colleges in some ways. Jimmy, John, guys, thank you very much. Good discussion there. All right. Still ahead, the House opening an investigation into Hawaiian Electric and its alleged role in Maui's deadly wildfires. One of the congressmen leading the charge for answers and accountability joins us next. All right, welcome back. Residents of Maui are still reeling from this month's deadly wildfires. And serious questions remain over whether a better warning system could have helped save more lives in the tragedy. Jane Wells joining us now with more. Jane. Hi, Brian. I'm in Laguna Beach, California, an area prone to wildfires. I mean, like the whole state. This community has upgraded its warning system in a way that could have made a difference in Lahaina. I was hiking last weekend when a local warning siren went off. It was just a test, but if it wasn't, what did it mean? What was I supposed to do? Using sirens that we were using in 1940, uh, in 2023, is, a, is, a, is, is just insane. Richard Danforth is CEO of a company called Genesis that makes a warning system that includes speakers. But instead of a siren, the speakers speak. Attention, this is a test of the Laguna Beach Outdoor Warning System. Laguna Beach, California has spent over a million dollars to install the system all over a city where both wildfires and tsunamis are concerns. The speakers will tell you which one is happening and what to do. This is how we can select which sites we want to do. City Emergency Operations Director Brendan Manning says they successfully activated the system twice last year during fire evacuations. While we have patrol vehicles and PD officers trying to do door-to-door -door knocks and drive through on there, it's another way for us to just yell in their backyards and say, hey, pay attention, something is going on. It's the kind of system that might have saved lives in Lahaina, where authorities reportedly didn't even turn on the sirens because people might have assumed there was a tsunami and headed in the wrong direction straight into the flames. 
And with the Genesis system, if communications fail, the speakers have a backup satellite channel. Theoretically, if there were a fire in Laguna Beach, you would be able to communicate via those speaker arrays until the speaker arrays burned down. In the event of a real emergency, additional information would be provided. And if the power goes out, they have batteries. Some have solar power. Now, these installations each cost about $50,000 to $100,000. And they're not just being used in fire agencies all over the West. Uh, they're being used in a U.S. auto plant. Japan has a 1,000 of them. And, Brian, they're in Fenway Park and Lambeau Field. These speakers could tell you, for example, to shelter in place if there's an active shooter situation. So not just natural disasters. Yeah, yeah, I remember growing up in, Cal in Southern California, Jane, I don't know about your elementary school, we had three distinct sirens. We had the fire drill, which is normal. We had an earthquake siren, which was different. And I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we had a nuclear, like, attack bomb siren, and we got under our desk. I'm not sure what good that would have done. My point is that Maui has been, <laughs> I know you go to Hawaii all the time, Ma the, the fire risk in Maui was nothing new. The, the, the utility was warned about it. Years ago, you, you think they could have had time to develop a simple system with a different sound or whatever for Brian, a tsunami, fire, you, you, Godzilla, you whatever can, it might be. You cannot just uh, you cannot just blame the utility. I'm a part-time resident of Hawaii, and all up and down government, uh, all the uh, the fire agencies have been warning for years about this. Hawaiian Electric will tell you that it was being told to divert funds to state mandates on renewable energy. Uh, a siren historically doesn't tell you what to do. I don't remember three different sirens when yeah. I was a kid. When I was out taking a hike this weekend, I wouldn't have had any idea what that siren was well, for. Well, I guess what I'm, you, no, I'm not... The voice, the, the voice, the clear voice. Jim, yeah, I'm not saying uh, many are blaming the utility. By the way, Maui County is suing. My point was one would, given what you just showed us, one would have thought or maybe had an expectation that there could have been time to develop a system that would have had a number of different warnings. In other words, one sound for tsunami, another sound for something else like a fire, because it's not like the fire risk or climate True. change has come out of nowhere. I would just say tourists who go to Maui won't know what those different sounds mean oh, unless the there's some okay. sort of thing at every fair hotel. Enough. Yeah, but the lo but the locals would have, and I assume Lahaina, from what I understand, is is a tourist place. In fact, our producer was there literally a, a day or two before the fire on her honeymoon. Um, just from the local cause, I find it very odd that then they would have also said that the tsunami siren would have caused tourists to run into the fire. Right, because you the fire was up. Uh, what they call Malka on the mountains and the uh, you would think the tsunami would make you want to run towards the mountains and that's you would have run right into the flames and away from the water when many of the people who actually lived got out of their cars and got in the water. Yeah, uh, although uh, most people probably have seen the flames and run run the other way. But Jane, uh, amazing uh, uh, siren that you're on. I know it's a, listen, it's a horrible situation. Everybody's looking for blame. I get it. And there's still people missing. It's just that it's an awful, terrible human tragedy. It's terrible. It's uh, Yeah. And, and now we're talking about different types of sirens. I get it. We have to. Um, Jane Wells, uh, thank you very much. All right. So speaking of that, the cause of the fire, right? Many are questioning if utility company Hawaiian Electric and its power lines were the primary cause. The county of Maui is suing Hawaiian Electric, citing effectively negligence by the utility in maintaining its systems, for the fire, Hawaiian Electric 
denies the charge, says the downed power line did start the first fire, but that was put out. It did not start the second fire. Well, now House Republicans from the Energy and Commerce Committee are opening an investigation and looking for answers from Hawaiian electric leadership. The members writing, quote, a fuller understanding of the role, if any, of the electric infrastructure in this tragic event should be known. Joining us now is Virginia Congressman and House Energy and Commerce Committee member Morgan Griffith. And Congressman, uh, you signed the letter. Listen, to Jane's point, and Jane is a part-time resident of Hawaii. Obviously, it's highly emotional for her. There's friends. It's a, these are small small communities. So, and we're still, by the way, looking for many missing people. But at the same time, I would imagine we're going to need some answers so that we can try to prevent this from ever happening again, if indeed it was human caused. Yeah, that's that's what we have to find out. And we need the information. And and there are some indications that the power company uh, may have had some responsibility in this. And then there's this whole uh, allegation that's going on that uh, they went in before the investigations that Hawaii was doing could be completed and started uh, moving uh, equipment and things out that might have given some evidence as to what started this uh, terrible, terrible tragedy. But there are a lot of different things that uh, need to be looked at. Uh, the fact that vegetation may have not been cleared out, the fact that the invasive species uh, burn hotter and faster than uh, the, the regular species of grass on the island would have done, or the, or the ones that are indigenous. Yeah. The, the wall, so, that, was, that was the point I was trying to make with Jane. The Wall Street Journal reported that four years ago, there were warnings about the risk. And we learned this, by the way, we didn't need the Wall Street Journal or somebody to warn us. In 2018, California, right, that should have been the wake-up call. Old power lines, old power poles, and lots of dry underbrush caused from drought, Yes, climate change certainly playing a role in the dryness, but humans should have been able to look at these power lines and said, those are old. That power pole is rotted. It's about to fall. we got to switch it out. And, and Congressman, I don't know if you saw this, a Reuters story saying that Hawaiian Electric CEO got a bonus tied to profit, worker safety, and bolstering the supply of renewable energy, but not linked specifically to reducing wildfire risk. In your opinion... Were the financial incentives for Hawaiian Electric's leaderships wrong? And would you seek to claw back any salary or bonuses if so? Well, I'm not in a position to say we claw back any uh, salary or bonuses, but, but what we do need to look at is, did they link too much to renewable energy when they should have been linking to safety first? You can do both, but the fact that they might have left out uh, safety as a major component when they had warnings, when there were discussions in Hawaii about what they needed to do to harden their system and to make it safer so that it would not enhance or cause wildfires. Have you, have you been in contact with the utility? Have you heard from them at all, or is this process just beginning? It's just beginning. We have not heard from them yet, uh, nor should we have. We just sent our letter out today. Uh, our process in, in previous uh, natural disasters is to, you know, let them start uh, repairing and, and, working on uh, helping people who are who are still homeless uh, or who have still have lost loved ones uh, then we get in and we start looking to see what we can do to make sure that whatever happened this time doesn't happen again we have started that process uh, i know that there are other uh, members of the uh, congressional uh, delegation the republicans are heading that way take a look at some of the uh, human factors and to try to figure out what they can do but we also have an obligation to make sure that we are 
make trying to ensure that this doesn't happen somewhere else in the United States because the the uh, system isn't hardened, the vegetation near the system mm-hmm. uh, is ready to be a, a, a tinderbox and light the fuse on a disaster that's just horrible, such as this one. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And um, there's a lot more to learn. We still got to find a lot of people first. Morgan Griffith representing uh, Virginia's Ninth. Virgi- Virgi- I, I didn't want to say it. Virginia's Ninth down there in the New River Valley. Uh, Congressman, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, Elon Musk hitting the accelerator. Get it? On his grand plans for a super app. But is he too late to this one specific party? I'll tell you what he's trying to do next. All right, let's get to our last call watch list. And hey, take a look at Intel. It's on a nice little run, posting gains in five straight sessions. When's the last time that happened for Intel? Today's bump coming after bullish comments it made by its CEO at a Deutsche Bank tech conference says Intel is currently tracking above third quarter guidance. And with today's gain, Intel, yes, Intel, up more than 7% of the past week. Next up, Walmart saying, hold my beer. It is a record day for the retail giant. Here's why. Even a tiny little gain pushed Walmart to its highest ever price. When you're at a record high and you go up, that is another record high because math. Walmart began trading on the NYC in August of 1972. Walmart now carries a market cap of $438 billion, an all-time high for Walmart today. And of course, we also like keeping a close eye on oil. Prices of oil up more than 2% today. And watch out for gas prices. Crude oil hitting 83 bucks, its highest point in more than two weeks. You can see that late movement today, triggered by hope that OPEC will continue production cuts, or the Saudis will, with their million-barrel-a-day unilateral cuts through the end of the year. I'm sorry to say it, gas prices are probably going higher. All right, next up, and this is a doozy. Elon Musk's latest attempt to make X, formerly known as Twitter, the singular super app. He announced this morning that, get this, Video and audio calls will soon be available on X without having to use your phone number. Musk says it will, quote, be the effective global address book. Now, he did not specify when these features may launch. Of course, rival Mark Zuckerberg's integrated voice and video calling on Facebook Messenger, that happened eight years ago. Now, Fidelity putting out some bullish commentary on X today. Remember, they helped finance the purchase of the platform last October, and they increased the valuation of their private Twitter stock for the third consecutive month. In other words, whatever Musk is doing appears to be working. For more on the story, let's bring in Mountain CEO Mark Douglas on set, and we love it. How are you doing? You know, I'm, I am like, wasn't Twitter dead like two months ago? It was every, it's over, it's finished? Well, it depends on how the political winds are blowing and what he tweeted yesterday. Or what do they call a tweet now? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's like an Xing. I'm Xing. Yeah, unless he Xed yesterday. But that had a whole new, different meaning in the '90s. At like the anyway, I'll bring yeah. let's, let's, let's the Palladium. Let, let's, 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 move, let's move past this. I, I have all kinds of questions. Let's assume now it's a it's a phone, basically a video and phone chat. 
You think they're going to be collecting all that information? You're a marketing guru, collecting all that information to build their giant AI super brain. Well, the the, the feature is supposed to be that it's end-to-end encrypted, and even they can't listen in on it. They can't see it. And that's on brand for the X brand, which is all about you know free speech and privacy. And they're trying to be the ultimate free speech platform and the ultimate privacy which, platform. Yeah, a lot. Of, yeah. Yeah. Which, so if they're, can, by the way, can come with some nasty and gross things. Right. I mean, you, you which lose. is why people pronounce it dead and said they were going somewhere else. Right. So it goes both ways. But is this is this if this is this would be the, a surprising first step to me to be the quote super app. Yeah. I would agree. I think um, lots of other ways to make calls. Like I said, it's it's very, very on brand for the brand. I think really what is going to and but I think it's very possible to create this super app. I think really where they can make a big play is to compete with YouTube. There's an increasing amount of video content on X. I think folks want this kind of like free speech video platform. I think um, how YouTube is monetized, okay. a lot of creators I mean, are not happy with. Just between you and I. Yeah. Because you're the marketing guy. So you, yeah. you, your service relies on accurate information. Yeah. Okay. How much did your advice help this company? Right. You look at some of the view totals on some of these videos, yeah. on, and I'm just thinking, no freaking way. Yeah, the, 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 right? their, their definition of a view, I think, is two seconds partially in frame in, in, on your So phone. if I'm slowly just scrolling up. That counts as a view. And I don't quite go fast enough. I have watched that show. That's, right. But that's not, that's not good. Right. So I think right now they're benefiting from these numbers going out and people don't know that definition. At some point, people don't want real data. But regardless of that, I think the, the opportunity here is for X to really become a video platform. Doing video calls as a starting point is not what everyone expected. But you also look at Linda. But has, has Musk ever done anything anybody's expected, Mark? <laughs> well, that's his talent, right? That's his thing. It's the, a combination of the ambition and doing what people don't expect. And I think in this case, I'm pretty bullish on X. I think it will ultimately succeed. I always think that people just don't like to see how the sausage is made. They don't want to see what amounts to a early stage startup, but is operating as this fairly large company. They don't want to see all that, but I think it's ultimately well, going to It's succeed. like Musk went from sort of hero of a certain group because he basically single-handedly invented and now controls the electric car market, right. helping the planet ostensibly, and now he buys Twitter, and, you know, he allows people back on, and there, and there was a lot of garbage, by yeah. the way, on there, and now he's, like, widely hated by certain people. Like, have you ever seen this kind of a swing in sentiment? Well, he believe you know, in what's in common in all those things is he has conviction. And so he had conviction for rockets, conviction for electric cars, and now he has conviction for X. And, you know, if you sleep in the factory enough times, where you try enough things at X, ultimately you're you, probably going to succeed. How do you think he does it? Running multiple companies, he's got like 10 kids. Yeah. How? You have to convince some really smart people to want to actually do a lot. I, I think it's the, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to ruin the movie, but it's 30 years old, so if you haven't yeah. seen it, folks, too bad. It's called The Prestige. And at the, 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 the hook at the end is this magician with this trick of disappearing, and at the end you find out that there was a twin. <laughs> Did I just ruin the movie for you? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's 30 years old, a statute of limitations. You didn't ruin the movie. I wonder how many Musks there are, Elon Musks there are, because it's no way one guy can do all this. Well, I think he also sleeps four hours a night. 
He, I mean, he works seven days a week. Yeah. I mean, he puts in a lot of effort. But, you know, you're going to see a lot more coming from X, just like you've seen yeah. a lot come from his other companies. I, I'm, I know people hate him now. I'm excited to see it. I think you're right. I think it's better. They've gotten, they've cleaned it up. Yeah. You know, I haven't noticed much garbage, which is good. Yeah. Mark Douglas, good to have you on. Thanks. On set. Thank you. Sure. All right, coming up. You don't often associate AI with the Caribbean, but tonight we are because it involves tens of millions of dollars, one of the world's most beautiful islands, and a very fortunate name. That's next. All right, today's random but interesting piece of information is coming to you Caribbean style. Sun, sand, a big old dash of artificial intelligence, and probably a sprinkle of dumb luck. Because Business Insider points out that the island of Anguilla may start to print money from AI. Why? Because the island is the home of the .ai web domain. It was assigned that internet country code years ago. And because the island is so small, only about 16,000 people, and not exactly a business hub, you don't see a lot of websites ending with .ai, but you will. Because the AI insanity going on right now has many companies trying to connect themselves to it in any way they can, including new websites ending in that. You know, like CNBC.ai. And that could bring a lot of money to Anguilla, as much as $30 million per year by some estimates. And one report has the number of websites ending in AI at nearly $290,000 last year. And while $30 million may not sound like a lot of money to, like, an American company or to America, to Anguilla it is. In fact, that would be nearly 10% of their annual GDP. Anguilla, the capital of artificial intelligence, but hopefully not artificial reefs. Random, but interesting. For more on the .ai hype and Anguilla's newfound gold mine, let's bring in University of Virginia Associate Professor of Data Science, Mar Hicks, who studies these types of internet country codes and domains and the economy. I didn't even know that was a thing, but we're glad, Mar, that you do. How big of a deal is this for a, a very lucky old Anguilla? Well, you're right. I mean, for Anguilla, it's it's a very big deal, and it is a mixture of luck and the hype surrounding AI right now, but it's really making them a lot of extra money. So how do they make the money? If I do BrianSullivan.ai and I register it with Icon or any registrar, how does Anguilla get the coin? Well, I think the uh, minimum price for a .ai uh, domain right now is something like $120 for two years, if uh, if the information I have is correct. And the way that the money gets into Anguilla's treasury is basically that, um, you know, the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, an American-based organization that assigns these top-level domains and the, the top-level country domains, uh, it works with a trusted party within the country, usually a government agency or some sort of agency or organization that's been given authority by the government to have control over the country's mm -hmm. top level domain. And that organization in Anguilla has decided that, you know, it's okay to sell the .ai domain to basically whomever 
uh, wants to use it. They don't have to be associated with the country as long as they're not doing something that breaks Anguilla's laws with that uh, website, then that's fine. And all the money for those registrations essentially goes right to Anguilla's yeah. treasury. Could have been AG or AL, I guess, unless those are taken, but it got AI and now it's going to be a gold mine and I'm sure it's just fine with them. Mar Hicks of UVA, but we won't hold it against you. Mar, thank you very much for joining us. Fascinating stuff there. You go, Anguilla. We're going to go. We'll see you tomorrow night. Take care. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.